Hello, you're listening to the abridged version of Book Shambles. If you'd like to hear the full-length version of Book Shambles and also get loads of other extra treats and bits and pieces, then why not go to patreon.com slash bookshambles. Anyway, here's the abridged version with loads of really interesting things that were cut out. I mean, there's lots of interesting things you're still going to hear, but some of the things you're missing out on. Hello and welcome to Book Shambles. Producer Trent here. A reminder that Robin's book, The Importance of Being Interested, is out now and you can order signed copies from the Cosmic Shambles bookshop. That's cosmicshambles.com slash bookshop. And all sales through our bookshop uh, obviously go to help us keep producing lots of podcasts and live streams and events and stuff through Cosmic Shambles. And another way you can support us is by signing up to Patreon, patreon.com slash bookshambles. That gets you extended episodes each and every week, plus lots of other goodies as well. Live events coming up. Obviously, Robin is on tour with his 100 Bookshops tour. So he is probably coming to somewhere near you soon, if he hasn't been already. Ninus and Carol's for Curious People. We announced some new guests for that show this week, or all five shows, I should say. At King's Place in December, some of the new guests we announced include Izzy Sooty and Jim Bob, Helen Scales, Dr. Carl, and lots more. Go and check out the website for that, cosmicshambles.com slash nine lessons. Compendium of Reason, hosted by Robin and Brian Cox, is headed to the Albert Hall this year on December 14. Tickets for that are going quick, so make sure you get in on that now. And also... Uh, very, very soon we will be on tour with Adam Rutherford and Hannah Fry with their Guide to Everything tour. You will find all the details for all those shows on the Cosmic Shambles website. Now on to today's episode, Robin is joined by someone who subbed in for Josie as co-host during Josie's last maternity leave, so it makes sense that she would be our special guest this week while Josie is on her current maternity leave. Here's Robin and Beckhill. Hello. Welcome to Josie and Robin's Book Shambles. Josie's not here today, though, so it's mine. All mine. <laughs> I can't let her politics get in the way now and her eating of apples. It's, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do without having the political discussions and listening to her eat apples. Anyway, I'll give it my best go. So welcome to uh, Book Shambles. And uh, today's guest... Uh, not that long ago, actually, was uh, someone who used to co-host uh, Book Shambles, but uh, she's gone her own way now and uh, become a, a best-selling author. So yeah, I know. Just uh, I've been doing a lot of um, interviews for my books. I've had a, <laughs> heard a lot of different ways of doing introductions about books, and uh, so that's uh, I've got to admit that this is uh, one of those things where she's a comedian, she's an artist, she's a broadcaster, and um, turned her hand now to um, something that I think is rather fun. We're joined by Beck Hill. There we go. Bet that sounded like you <laughs> could have been. There, the uh, I um, feel like we're about to just lull, like it's a late night chat show. People are just getting into bed, they're having a little listen to the radio. There's some, some truck drivers out there, they're sort of like nodding, you know. Yeah, 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 Pleasant. great. It's Beck Hill, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's an author, she's a broadcast, she's an artist, <laughs> uh, she's an animator. I mean, what isn't she? What one of these things actually just too many things? Um, <laughs> so it's very nice to have you back on Book Shambles, and this time not uh interviewing people with me, but you being interviewed because you have uh, well, you've done books before, you've done those wonderful books that uh, uh, you kind of made for your shows uh, with dinosaurs, uh, and now you have gone though into uh, well, we start with slime. This is the beginning yes. 
of your grand horror series. Yeah. So slime is a good place to start. Do you have a favourite, before we get you to deal, deal, deal with the slime you've created, do you have a favourite slime-based movie? Because I suppose you've got things like The Blob and you've got things like The Stuff as well with the slimy dessert which uh, destroys people. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I, You know what? I don't. That's probably why I wrote about it because, you know, I needed to write my favourite <laughs> because otherwise, you know, it, obviously the ones out there haven't quite served me. I mean, the closest I probably get to having a favourite slime is probably the character Slimer in Ghostbusters. But I wouldn't say that's a slime movie. I would say no, that. No, that's fair enough. That, that is, is a, a barely a sidekick. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cameo slime, I, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I think is that one. But it is, I love, I've, I always used to love those moments in kind of 50s and 60s films where some kind of slime, usually for budgetary restrictions, there was no way of actually being able to make anything that had claws or eyes. And then just the way that an actor battles with pushing it on their face while trying to appear to be pulling it off their face is one of my favourite <laughs> things of, of horror movies. Yeah, I think, interestingly, because we've been having, um, I say we, the publishers and I have been having... Um, uh, meetings about adapting it for TV and film. And uh, I think one of my favourite things about horror is how easily it can be done on a low budget, which lends itself to those meetings rather uh, rather well. <laughs> so what was your favourite? I mean, when you were growing up, with a kids, uh, because I suppose I mean this 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 book's for slightly younger, but then there was there's a huge boom with things like horror. Uh, point horror was really really oh, yes. big. Yep. Um, and uh, and and so was that was that an influence? Or I go back further and then think of things like Paul Jennings, which isn't horror necessarily, but you know has that twisty, uncanny kind of world to it. Oh, totally. So Paul Jennings was a huge influence on me, um, and I actually. Uh, when I was, I think when I was 11, I went to see Paul Jennings do a signing at my local library and, um, and he signed a book for me saying, uh, you know, to, to Rebecca Hill, hopefully one day you will get to sign your own book. Uh, so when I wrote this, I asked my editor and said, is there any way we could get a copy to Paul Jennings and I can thank him for being an inspiration? And she was like, well, we can try. So I wrote him like a message and sent a photo of the book. Um, that he'd signed and uh, and he wrote back and he was like yes I'd love to read your book and he did um and so I was um that like absolutely made my entire childhood and and adulthood so he was a huge and for any listeners who don't know who Paul Jennings is um that probably over in Britain um his work is better known as being adapted for TV as the series Round the Twist where all of the short stories got turned into um a show about a uh, uh, an audio what do you call it? a cast an ensemble cast that's it an ensemble cast where they um, melded all of the stories together but um, yeah so Paul Jennings was a huge influence when I was growing up and uh, and then also um, Goosebumps was another big one for me of course yeah, yeah. R.L. Stein yeah and I think what I liked most about Paul Jennings and um, R.L. Stein especially with Goosebumps was I mean not just the the horror aspect or the or the strange comedy aspect, but um, I really I mean we've talked about this on on previous sh uh, shows when I was co-hosting with you, but I have a very t short attention span. I've now been officially diagnosed with ADHD, one of the many, 
Um, and uh, as a result, I've really struggled to read things in big, long bits, um, unless I'm in hyper-focus mode, in which case I will sit down and read a massive novel in a day, but I won't do anything else that day. <laughs> um, but if with most things, if I'm reading it, I'll give up, uh, you know, I'll put it down and then I really struggle to pick it up and pick up where I left off because I can't remember where I was in the chapter. Whereas what I loved about Paul Jennings is he's got short stories, so you can sit down and read a story and if you've got time, you can read the next story. And the same with um, Goosebumps, you know, they're very much uh, my first chapter books. So I like the fact that you could read a chapter in 10 minutes, you know, and then pick it up later and it's much easier to remember where you were. So uh, that was a big thing that attracted me to that. And um, it's funny because I didn't set out to write it easily for people. Like I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to make this an accessible book. But uh, there was a lot of um, people talk about how accessible it is because they're very short chapters because that's all I can write before I get bored. <laughs> that's great. And, and I mean, it's, it's interesting. The ADHD thing is interesting as well because it does seem now that in the last year, almost every one of my friends who's a comedian and they are of a certain quirky niche set anyway, uh, is getting diagnosed. And it's like going, oh, this is the thing that connected everyone as well was the flibbity jibber. Ah, I like that. And I like that. And I like that. And I like that. And now I've just hit a real terrible down of something. And now I like that. And, you know, and it's uh, I wondered actually in terms of whether just hit because I, I know there's there's two sides to this. I don't mind talking about this. Not at all. Um but, the, the, you know, some people will say, you know, the danger, of course, is that once you, you've had something medicalised, the, 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 the walls around you can be like, oh, well, now I can't do these things. And yet I would oh. say that the walls around you, uh, if they are walls, go, oh, this is why I can't do this. But this is why this is now uh, also my superpower that your flibbity gibbet nature is something that you see so beautifully expressed in the way that you do shows. Well, I say shows for kids, but whenever I've seen you do kids shows, they are that perfect melding of everyone can enjoy it. It's it's put in a framework of a show for kids. And the way that you leap into those kind of images and the invention within them seems to be part of the power that comes from what, what is now, you know, also the 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 that you would be defined as as also possessing you know ADHD qualities. Oh yeah, absolutely. I definitely see it as uh, like a really intrinsic intrinsic part of my personality, and and my creativity, and what I have really appreciated about the diagnosis is that it's helped me in the areas where it was it was detrimental because I didn't know that it was connected, so I didn't. I never considered that maybe the reason that, you know, yeah, when I write a show, as you say, I, I, I'll do loads of different things. I'll have, you know, visual stuff. I'll have, you know, I'll jump to um, something that's maybe observational and then I'll jump to a, a quick succession of puns and then I'll jump to a weird bit with music and lights and it's all very distracting. And I'd never thought of that you know, I guess style for want of a better word of comedy being connected with the same thing that makes it impossible for me to hear what people are saying if I'm not looking at them in the eyes. <laughs> and it, you know, or why, why if I, if we're going out to a pub, if we go to a pub with TV screens, I I just cannot be in, like I, I actually am not present in in whatever social situation I'm in. 
even if I'm sort of talking, I've, I've always got one eye on the screens and stuff. And I always thought I had bad hearing as well, but, uh, but I don't because there's certain things that I'll hear that are, you know, fairly quiet or far away and I'll hear them, to- you know, better than some. And I always thought my hearing was, was um, poor and, and then I realised, no, it's just that if there's several things, other things to listen to, I cannot concentrate on one sound. Like I just, my brain is trying to pick up on all the other sounds and listen to those things. And yeah, I just, I'd never thought that they were connected until now. And now that I know that they are, I've been able to, yeah, for a long time I was telling myself I was bad at stuff. And now I'm like, oh, I'm not bad at stuff. I'm just different. And that is so much easier to deal with because there are tools in place to make those things easier, which is really, that's been really fun. I wish, I wish I'd known about those things sooner. I wish I'd known about various different, I always, again, people always said, write down to-do lists. And I was like, well, they don't work for me. And that's because if I put something in a notebook and shut the book, it's gone. Like I, I do not open that. If I can't see it, it's gone. And it wasn't until uh, last year that I started using like a whiteboard and and post-its and stuff. Uh, You know, I'd use them for planning shows and things, but I hadn't used them for like organizing my life. And now that I had them visual, you know, visible and I walk into the room and I see those things, I'm like, oh yeah, I need to do that thing. Oh yeah, that's what I have to do. I'm annoyed that I hadn't done that earlier. I think there's a... Farm, farm. I think it would have been easier on a lot of my friends and family <laughs> if I'd known. So, in terms of uh, you know, th- this that strange moment, and I know you created a lot during lockdown. What was your initial reaction in terms? You know, we're we, we, we're both people who spend a lot of time on the road, a lot of time doing shows in front of live people, and suddenly it became, well, how can we do it on Zoom or something like that? And how does this connection work? And what do I get back from it? And does my brain work in the same way if there's actually not people in the room? I'm I'm not sure it's functioning in the right. You know, all of those things. Yeah. What What did you did you find good things came out of that? I mean, for instance, the book. How how far were, were you? into the book um before lockdown oh I wasn't I um I actually pitched the books during lockdown um the idea well I some of it had been sort of obviously in the back of my mind um from uh you know previous uh um experiences and stuff like that so I'd already been sort of thinking about it and then when uh, lockdown happened before lockdown I was actually pitching a different book and then I changed my mind because it was a bit too so I then went and read a book that was very similar to it and not so similar that people would you know I don't think anyone would accuse me of, of copying it but I just thought the other book was done so well and I didn't really want to you know it's like seeing a really fast runner in a race and you're like oh, maybe I won't go in that one yeah. maybe I'll maybe I'll do hurdles <laughs> instead see if I'm any good at that <laughs> So I, um, yeah, I, I pitched. The funny thing is I, I initially pitched Horror Heights as an anthology, Paul Jennings style, with a bunch of short stories because uh, I, I I thought it was a se- I felt Horror Heights would be a series, which, it, which is why it wasn't my first pitch. Um, but I thought I wouldn't get a series until I'd established myself as an author. So... Um, I then said, you know, maybe it could be a, an anthology of short stories. And they said, oh, we don't really do anthologies, which I think is a shame. Uh, I don't understand why that isn't a thing. I remember it being huge when I was a kid, but, um, apparently not as common these days. Anthologies of it's short a really, stories. I, I've always found that odd that there's short story market. People will say, oh, it's rubbish. No one, no, 
no one buys short stories. And I, you know, whether it's Raymond Carver or whether it's Pan Book of Horror Stories, yeah. or uh, I've probably got next to me here somewhere the Mayflower Book of Black Magic Stories, which was something I loved when I was a kid. I used to steal money from my mum's purse to buy those. I don't know if she ever worked out, but I bet she probably did. But I was the youngest, so I managed to get away with my Jean Genet petty theft for uh, uh, B-movie books. Yeah, well, I think, like, I, I, I still read books anthologies of short stories in fact i would argue that the majority of books that i've read in the last few years have the ones that i've completed are ones that whether it's fiction or non-fiction you know essays or something that they're they're books that have short stories I, i can't actually remember the last full novel that i completed reading um but yeah i um I when I asked them they said, Oh, we don't we don't do them at the moment. Um, I then they then said, But could it work as a series? And I was like, Well actually, that was the first idea. Um so I pitched the first uh, first three books to them and they were really chuffed and then I <laughs> we, I'm uh, then I got to reveal to them that well actually it's uh, thirteen books. <laughs> So it's, it's very exciting I mean, to have this out around Halloween as well, to see that in the bookshop windows, just mm. to realise that you are you are something now that's going to be read by the children on, you know, now now, now is the witching time. Yeah. Now is the time for slime. Um, that is, uh, it must, that, that, that's, there, there is a beautiful sense of achievement to that, isn't there? And, and... Oh my gosh. It's like, it's, I, I think it's akin, no, yeah, it's akin to the first time I did a show where um, I reckon the first time I did a gig where my name was on the board, you know, it was one of the lineup and you're just like, oh, I've done it. You know, like that's, that is such a big moment when you start out performing and you do, I mean, I wonder, I don't know. I wonder if authors ever grow tired of seeing their books in the wild. I feel like you would see it less than you would your name as a performer because I probably don't, don't get as excited about seeing my name on boards now because it's just part of the job. Do you still get excited? Do you ever get, do you get excited if your name's on the board? For oh, there's certain places that I turn up and I think, isn't it? Or I still find that thing of when you're working with certain people and with your imposter syndrome and thinking, but I'm not even a proper comic. I've done this thing for 30 years and I made a living mm. from it, but not like the proper comics. <laughs> and so I think I still, I think I get the negative side of it. What am I doing in this room with people who do this in reality? Mm. And then you do get the positive side of it of going, one of the people that I'm on as well, I'm on the same board as someone. It's like I used to find things like, uh, doing things with Jeremy Hardy to me was always very funny because when I was 18, I went to see him at the Edinburgh Festival. He was already my favourite comic that I'd seen live since I started going to see comedy when I was about 15. And when I was 18, I went to Edinburgh and he was selling posters and uh, for to go to the Terence Higgins Trust and I got a signed poster, which I've got somewhere. I'm looking for it and I don't know what I've done with it, um, which just says, you know, to Robin, love Jeremy Hardy. And then about two days later, I was walking through Edinburgh and I saw him in the street. I was like, hi, Jeremy. Jer- Jeremy Hardy, I saw a show the other day, it was brilliant, I'd really, um, I'd quite like to be a comedian, you know, like the Paul Jennings thing, and then you go, what am I doing on this Radio 4 show some years later, sat next to Jeremy, so I think, you know, in, in things like that, and I do still find, but it's a different experience, isn't it, the book thing to doing the live thing. 
because it kind of creeps up on you in a different way because, of course, live is just, we're here, we're going to create now, everything happens now. And mm. then sometimes, maybe weeks later, someone says, oh, I really enjoyed that bit in the show or this thing was useful to me. Whereas books is this slow process and then every now and again, I think yesterday I was in Blackwells in Oxford doing a, 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 a talk and I was looking at all the books there by brilliant people and I went, I've made one of those. Yeah. It's all in hardback with a proper design and everything. You know, and, and I think every, so it creeps up, it doesn't have that same, I think, really, you know, hard and fast adrenaline wow. But then every now and again you go, oh yeah, I've written written some books, like like authors do. Yeah, yeah, it's really, uh, it's, it, it's, it's very surreal. It's in the, it's in the window of foils on Tottenham Court Road. And Brilliant. I was in uh, Soho because we did a belated wrap dinner for Makeaway Takeaway, um, which is the um, the kids show I hosted. And as uh, some of the crew and I were walking up the uh, walking up Tottenham Court Road, I was able to point it out and be like, "That's my book." <laughs> and I just thought, like, I'm gonna do that because I'm, I, you know, I I hope that that happens enough that I get tired of it but do you yeah do you, that was what I meant to ask before do you ever get tired of seeing have you seen your book in window in shop windows and just been like meh or do you always get a bit ee? I no I, th I think it's it's very exciting if it ever get I don't know if it ever gets to the shop windows I might always just be out the back uh you know it <laughs> might have to be so so, so but no see, seeing the book it in in shops and realizing it really exists and people actually buying it and and people asking you I, I, I don't lose any of the excitement over that mm. um I'm sure I mean I've only done you know I've, I've I've written what four books and so it's like um it's I think it's still all new to me and I but I find it a really weird world as well because I find it I I think we are different to a lot the, the people who are author authors um like when you go to a book festival author authors all seem to sit on their own or with their PR person and it's not a very gregarious situation and they have to be led to the tent where they're doing their talk because they don't really know how to get to tents at a book festival um whereas of course we're uh you know we're, we're used to so often arriving in a town it's dark it's cold where's this pub that we've got to go to and you have to just work it all out yourself and and I think there's a different level of kind of vim and excitement that comes with the fact that we have that other world of also releasing some of the ideas that are in our head I might be wrong and that's not true of all authors in fact you know when I pl play some of the more uh kind of left field uh festivals that I do everyone is really gregarious and goes let's go for a drink it's brilliant and no one's worrying about oh I see that uh, that person who won the Costa Prize is over there and I didn't think they deserved it oh uh, will I be on the booker list there's none of that there's you know <laughs> so so uh yeah I, th I think I suppose like everything like there's loads of different forms of comics aren't there there are loads of comics who get different sensations there's comics who are very tightly scripted there are comics who are very appear to be at least on the exterior very very blasé and then there's the kind of jumpy up and down um excited uh comics yeah yeah that's true but yeah, the answer is no. I don't think you should ever lose the excitement of the fact that you've created so. And because it's so solid as well, your your book remains on shelves. In in forty years' time, there's going to be someone who is going. Oh yeah, I could never get rid of of the, of those books. I really love the Horror Heights books. Uh -huh. And and when when I was when I had to get rid of some of my books because my mum and dad said you got too much stuff. I always kept those. And that they're passing them on to someone else, and I think that that thing of making something that is so tangible, 
that is, you know, and someone's maybe done their own little drawings in it and someone's written, this book belongs to, yeah. you know, all all of that stuff and where, they, where they'll, they'll write that. This book belongs to Polly. I live in the world, in the universe, in the multiverse, or whatever, you know, all of those different things, all of those different little track records of, of what was in their mind at the time as well will be left there. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a really lovely way of thinking of it as well. Um, I certainly have a lot of books from my childhood which I can't bear to part with. And I tried to um, incorporate a lot of that into Horror Heights when um, when they were putting it together. So, um, like, for instance, they've done... You can't really see it on the first book, um, but there is a very, very light beginning of an H watermark on the spine so that when you end up with all... 13 it will you will see very lightly oh, horror brilliant. heights spelt out which i was like i definitely want that i want something to i love that completionist and you know i i feel very uh um enjoy i really enjoy that and i also um the um uh um lynn who did all the um design on the not the illustrator but she did the the illustrator is fantastic a guy called barrett but um, uh, Lynn, who did the design, was the one who I didn't know she was doing this. And I was so excited. I've never, normally, I'm, you know what it's like when you produce your own shows and stuff, you get quite controlling over everything, you know, every element of it. You want to know, you want to choose the image for the poster. You want to choose the font that is used to talk about, you know. So I'm used to being in charge of all of those things. And um, she, and uh, she made this choice and I was so happy that she did. She's um, had the... Um, the hand and the uh, title and bits of slime and, and everything like that all sort of um, embossed. So it's nice and tactile. And then UV spot on some of the other bits so they're nice and shiny. And then I made them put a flip book element on the side of it as well. So um, when you flip it, um, there's a big goo of slime that goes down the side. Because what I wanted was something that just offered something that you cannot get by you know the audiobook is well you know I loved doing the audiobook I really enjoyed it and there was there'll be bits that people will get from the audiobook that you don't get from the book which is me attempting to do different voices but, <laughs> but the the I just I don't know I just I love I loved that about my favorite books when I was growing up Paul Jennings always had die cut in his in his covers so that when you open the cover it revealed something that was you know, you would think that you could there'd be one cockroach on a kid's hand or something and or face and then when you open it up they're entirely covered in cockroaches and I just ah, oh, I loved that. I, I, I don't know. I think there's just something to be said for the different ways that you can impact people with some more, yeah, more than like just the Yeah, and like you said, the on words. the spine as well, those, those bits, or, or when all the covers can join together and you can slightly move them around and create different kind of horrific uh, panoramas. Mm. Um, so what were your favourite... Uh, actually, I've got... I wish I could... I've got it somewhere down there. I've got a book from the 1930s by... I forget which physicist it is, and it's got flip... So little flip book things of, of how gases behave wow. in uh, different environments. And it's like, great. So it's, so it's a physics book, but also with a flip book element to it as well Uh, various things about you know kind of waves and particles it's it's uh it's next time we see each other i'll make sure i bring it because i think you would love it um 
So what were yours like? Like when when your mum and I've always I I imagine your mum was not overbearing. I've met your mum. Yes, yeah, I a, don't think she was a, a librarian. Kind of person who was saying <laughs> you must get rid of these books. In fact, I would imagine it. Both of you probably were going. We really should, shouldn't we? But we can't. Yeah, yeah. What are the ones that are of those children's books you just mentioned? Those ones that really they will never leave the bookcase. Oh yeah. So yeah, all all my Paul Jennings books, all my R. L. Stein books. Um, I've still, I've not been able to part with my famous five ones, even though I haven't read them since I was a kid on holiday, uh, dreaming about finding a cove and stopping <laughs> pirates smuggling things. And, um, uh, I, oh yeah, the, the Edith Blyton ones with like the magic faraway tree, those ones were always anything that was a bit, um, uh, imaginative in that sense quite I remember they're talking about moon cakes and and I just remember being like what's a moon cake you know it just sounded so delicious um obviously uh all my uh Narnia books um uh and then there's uh there's some I've got some beautiful I think they were my mum's originally actually some beautiful illustrated Dinotopia books which oh, they're fantastic. are just stunning. They're so beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of those, um, one, there's, I haven't brought as many with me over here because um, every time, because we rent and the, in the back of my mind, I'm always like either, you know, our landlord might decide to sell or we might move or we might go back to Australia. I don't know. Like anytime I start, to, we don't have anything in our flat that we couldn't just pack into a suitcase if we it like the important things everything else you could probably just give away um but there's not that many things that you know I mean it's good if there was a fire we would be able to save anything that we really cared about <laughs> but um I do have a couple of things here and one of them is uh Goblins by Brian Froud <gasps> Oh, which is a pop-up yeah. book yeah, yeah yeah and I feel I also did the fairy books as well yes yeah yeah but it was I think one of the first pop-up books I was given and and obviously had a very big impact on on me and and what I do so um yeah that's one that will absolutely that's not going anywhere that one See, I had a favourite Goblins book as well, but it wasn't that one. It came out a few years earlier. I think it was originally from Holland, and I've still got it somewhere. It's by Hugo, I'm going to mispronounce the name, it's something like Hugo Porvilt. And uh, and it was just these beautiful, like almost done as if like nature illustrations. So mm. they, were, they were the kind of, in the same style that you would imagine people... To, in fact, there's a beautiful book at the moment, which I must recommend, by someone called Susan Ogilvie which is just called Nests, and it is just these beautiful paintings of birds' nests. Wow. And they're all life-size, so they're all the full oh, size. Yeah, and yeah. And, but, it, but that's how the Gnomes book was done. So it was done like a, as if it was a genuine natural history study of the reality of, of the Gnomes. I love that. I love that so much. I, um, you've reminded me that I... I've forgotten the name of the book. It's very famous and it's huge and it's life, life-size pictures of birds. And it was, and I got to see it when it was on loan to the Melbourne Library. Um, but it was, um, uh, because there's not, either there's just 
the original or there's only very few copies. I know it's the subject of a... F- have you seen the film American Animals, I think it's called? No. I'm going to do... Oh, no, Trent, you're listening. Trent, can you do a quick Google for American <laughs> Animals? I want to check if it's... Aud- is it Audubon? Audubon's birds. Yes, Audubon's Audubon. birds, yeah. Yeah, yes. yeah. They are the... I, I interviewed David Attenborough once and... Uh, um, he did with the Folio Society, one of his favourite books. I can't remember whether it was actually Edward Lear or it was someone like that who was known not for their natural history work, even though actually it might have been their main thing that they did in their lifetime. Um, and after I interviewed David Attenborough, I just mentioned to him and, and I said, uh, because it was this very, it was done as a limited edition, beautifully done, very expensive thing and it was the kind of thing that my dad uh you know would because he couldn't really get out very much and 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 he would instead go well I can't go anywhere so I'm going to buy some lovely books every now and again and I remember just saying to David Attenborough off the internet oh by the way my dad's got that that book that you you brought out that that facsimile copy of the one that you love and he was so he was like oh that's wonderful I just I love that book so and it was like really beautiful to see because I know that David Attenborough is a real book collector as well and he loves when, when uh, the person who uh, uh, promotes the shows that I do with Brian Cox out in Australia, um, he also promotes David Attenborough. And he says, you know, we just find ourselves in a city and I take him to the greatest rare book places and he can never not come out with something wonderful and wow. strange. And normally also with a book for our, our producer as well to say, I thought you would like this. And it, but it, I love that excitement of his, you know, he had, uh, I, I don't know if, how many other people he'd met who'd bought this very limited edition book that he'd brought out and just the fact that he had this this selection of beautiful illustrations and ideas that he knew it had gone into someone else's home as well and someone else mm. was sharing the delight that he might feel on a Sunday night opening that book was a wonderful thing to see. Yeah, it made me um think of the uh the uh, uh Audubon. Yes. And um that was actually the subject of a film called American Animals, which I very I highly recommend. It's like half documentary, half dramatization, um, which in which could be done so poorly, but it's um it's it's a film about basically some students who decide to try and heist the Audubon from um from the university library. And it is yeah, it, it it's fascinating. And and it is based on on fact on, on what what's happened so yeah if you're if you're after any rare book stealing films american animals it's a good one i think it's i think the film was based on the on a book about the stuff but but uh it what well, it's beautifully directed so if you could steal just one rare book what would it be Ooh. um Okay, well, uh, the first issue of the Beano, does that count? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you might find yourself that my, my, my son will be in there as well, also in his balaclava, so they'll, they'll you'll, you'll both go, ah, uh-huh. you, we found out the location at the same time. We've managed to get through all of DC Thompson's different laser detectives, and now we find ourselves here ready to feud. Or, um, or we'll be like that episode of Simpsons where we, we decide to share it and we uh, we have to... Flip switch days on which we get to um to read it. Oh, that's so because there's a, there's a, a friend of mine, Jeff Towns. I, I just put up a couple of blog posts about him. He's a, a wonderful uh, uh, bookseller and book collector. And for a while, he and some friends they shared uh, Sylvia Plath's copy of the collected poems of Dylan Thomas. 
Wow. It was like, you know, they, they, they couldn't afford it. When, so, so each one of them, you know, could have a little <gasps> bit of time with Sylvia Plath. And that, and that, again, is something I love in the same way as we we're talking about those books which have other, you know, the fact that you have a copy of Paul Jennings and it says, you know, one day this, all of that story that's in there. And the fact that, you know, when you're holding a book of the work of a great poet that was owned by someone who became a great poet, and you start to get that sense of, you know, how did they read this book? How did they mm. see the words? How did those words, you know, what did they conjure in their head? Uh, and, I, yeah, I, I love that kind of... It's like almost a, a book becoming a palimpsest just in all of those memories that are there. Yeah, yeah, actually. Yeah, maybe it would have to be a... Po- it would have... Yeah, it would have to be like a first edition Paul Jennings book or something, maybe. Um but although my grandpa apparently had the first issue of the Beano and his mum threw it out. <laughs> That's oh, a, it's horrible, yeah. isn't it, when you hear that? <laughs> but um, what would you have? What what book would you steal? If you could? Well, the one that I, I, I don't know if I'd need to steal it. I just don't know where it is. So I need to find it first. Is always there's a book called Practically True, which is the autobiography of an actor called Ernest Thesiger, who uh, was in films like The Old Dark House and uh, Bride of Frankenstein. It was also a very keen embroiderer. And I have got his book Adventures in Embroidery, um, but I haven't got his book of his because he was just a very, very funny, uh, interesting, uh, very uh, had a tremendous way of camp about him. Mm. Um, and he he was he fought on the Western Front, and when he he wanted to start an organisation for injured soldiers to get them embroidering at home, people who were bed bound, and of course the military were like men embroidering, and you can see these beautiful pictures of him uh, on the side of the stage when he was in Olivier's Hamlet, just embroidering before going on, wow. so in full costume, but just just relaxing with a bit of embroidery. And if I can ever find a copy of Practically True, I would uh, yeah I would be very very keen to uh, to have that. What was it like? Your your, your mum is a librarian, so I mean, I'm always interested in libraries because sometimes when I've been involved in library campaigns, you get these snarky things from people going, "Who goes to libraries anymore?" Blah blah blah, and you go, "Well, loads of people go to libraries," mm-hmm. and you know, I've spent quite a lot of time in libraries. Uh, my sons loved going to libraries, and I've always been, you know, when I go in there, you see the old people who are there to kind of, you know, read newspapers or whatever, and you see the the children's section is always busy, and I think there's this you know again amongst snarky people there's this idea of what's the point of libraries I mean you know everyone could just get everything online as if everyone also has total access to an online world mm-hmm. um and so I wondered about your experience of, of of growing up with a librarian did you ha- did you spend a lot of time hanging around the library oh yeah absolutely um I, initially my first memory of it is when my mum was librarian for the Adelaide TAFE um which is like a college and um, so obviously it wasn't really, you know, it's not like they had a huge children's section. In fact, I think they had a very small section of like of of books for younger people. But uh, and they were usually probably being used as references for some course or whatever. But uh, I remember, uh, I think there was a book called Chips or something. I remember reading Flat Stanley. At, right, um, yeah. at that library. That was the one I used to always go to. So that was, yeah, when she was working and it was school holidays sometimes I would go to work with her and I would sit you know in the library and just read and then at lunch she would come out and find me and we'd eat lunch together or we'd go to the market and then which is nearby and then we'd go she'd go back to work and I'd get back to reading or I'd play on the microfish that was one I loved a ruddy loved a microfish I was just thinking about that the other day from when I worked in a bookshop that that you know now it just seems such a ridiculous thing but it was so beautiful just carefully sliding back and forth the tiny 
tiny writing that will be magnified. So I'm afraid we've, uh, we've only got, actually got June, so we have, they haven't yet sent August, so we're a little bit out of date on knowing what books exist at the current time. And then it's like those great bits in old movies, isn't it, where people have to get those kind of microfiche with all of the things of old newspaper headlines. Yeah, I need it from, uh, yeah, it's October the 3rd, 1972. There was a murder in this road. And then they slowly piece together the story with the tiny, tiny writing and the tiny, tiny yep. photos. They'd have all their little drawers, little slides, and they'd go through them. Uh, I think I got a love for filing cabinets and all sorts of those. I've always liked that, flicking through files to try and find stuff. found that very... Um, I guess that's like, I, nowadays they sort of call that ASMR, don't they? But I've always enjoyed that. Um, but that's the whole birth yeah. of the wonderful way that you do so much of your stuff, you know, live on stage. Is there we go. They're flicking through those papers, which then becomes this wonderful world of kind of, you know, yep. um, felt tip puppetry. It's all about the tactileness. Oh, that's great. So um, what about what's next then after the slime? What's the next horrible thing that uh, people are going to be confronted by? Yeah, the second book is called Now Live Screaming. And um, it's about a boy called Ryan who desperately wants to be a streamer, like his favourite streamer, Grimp. And um, he wants to have all the followers so he can just... All the subs, uh, subs I should say, sorry. All the subs. <laughs> so he can um, have you know access to all the cool things to play all the new games to play and equipment and gadgets and he can do unboxings and that sort of stuff so he's uh that's that is aim and then he he gets what he wants and then it very quickly turns into um uh, quite a horrible nightmare actually it's a it's um it i think it's a lot scarier than the first book which uh, uh personally I think the first book, I mean, the first book is scary, but in a very different way. Um, I'm interested to see how people react to this one. It might be one of those ones where kids are like, oh, no, the, uh, an evil sign with, the, you know, covered in teeth. That is far more scary. But I reckon adults would be like, oh, what, what Ryan has to go through is not, not for me. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because I think the way that empathy changes as people grow up, even though some people seem to manage to grow up with no empathy whatsoever, but we won't talk about the current situation in the United Kingdom. But uh, that bit where things that kids don't find scary, and then because they empathise, they suddenly find, like there was a friend of mine's kid who was allowed to watch all of the uh, the recent version of Sherlock mm. when he was like eight years old, and I was like, what? There's some really scary stuff in that. And but he was fine with it. But then he got to ten years old and he couldn't watch it anymore because suddenly the level of jeopardy, the experience of jeopardy, mm. had really changed. And I remember the same with um, when I took my son to see the Goosebumps movie, and I was like, he was the quite most recent around. one with Jack Black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. that would have probably five years, six years ago. And yeah. I, was, I, I, I was like, you know, are you sure you want to go and see this? Might be a little bit scary. It's like, yeah, 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 I want to go and see it. And then the first 20 minutes of that has a lot of jeopardy in it. It doesn't have horror, but mm. it has who's in the house, suspense, suspense, mm. suspense. And he was just curled up. Oh, God, I told you, why have you brought me to this film? And I was going, well, you wanted to. I tried to persuade. No, I did not. You know, the normal kind of way that children get out of that. And then once the jeopardy in terms of the actual just the, the 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 suspense of darkness where we never knew what was there once the parade of monsters began everything was fine you know the weird vent doll all of that stuff yeah, was no yeah, problem whatsoever yeah. but the suspense at that age that he was was 
utterly unbearable. Well, I wonder if that means that the second book will be terrifying because there is a lot of suspense and I really, really eke out what the... I mean, it, it really takes its time for the um, characters to find out what's happening and what is actually going on. It's it's it, it, it's one of the other reasons it's taken a while to write is because it's actually, it's quite a complicated plot and to tell it in the length of these books are is, uh, is quite a challenge, but... Um, I think it'll be worth it. I'm quite proud of it. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Well, I'm a big I, I fan of Jonathan Creek and I like anything that people go, hang on, that doesn't make sense. And then when you reveal it, they go, oh my gosh, it all comes together. Yeah. In a terrifying way. Oh, that's fantastic. Way. It's interesting what, because there was a series on CBBC, which was a horror series, which had one of those, like the, 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 the character that is kind of like the, almost the narrator or the crypt Oh, keeper. creeped out. It's creeped now out. made its way to Netflix. Yeah, it's a creepy little thing. That, the character's isn't it? name, but they but like yeah, collect all of the stories. He? So I so, I chatted to the cre- well to some of the people who were involved in developing that show, and they said that it was never intended to be creepy. It was just because they needed it to be like an anonymous, like oh, it goes around collecting the stories. But obviously, like the audience feedback is like this thing is terrifying. <laughs> what's its what's what's its aim? What's what's its motivation? And that's terrifying. If you don't know, like we know it collects these scary stories, and that's the thing that ties all the episodes together. But we don't know why, and that's that is inherently scary because we don't know what it's planning. And I think yeah. that's that's what is. Uh, yeah, I mean, what they always say, isn't it, that it's, it's, un, it's the fear of the unknown. And it's why, circling back to what we were talking about at the beginning, it's why uh, low-budget horror can still be done so well, is because when you don't show the monster, that is far scarier than when you show the monster. So much yeah. scarier. Cause it's then like you're... if you just get a hint of the monster, oh. like in John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness, the fact that you just see what is kind of Satan's hand in this yeah. murky water and you get a little bit of it oh. coming through the mirror, but you never see any more than that. Yeah, it's why I, I thought Signs was so so thrilling, um, you know, until like towards the end it becomes less scary because they sort of give you more... more uh, more visuals of of what these aliens are, but up and you know for mo- for the majority of the film, all you see is corn moving, and that is terrifying. And then Cloverfield is is scary as well because Cloverfield, the in- almost the entire thing is, you know, you're just seeing through like someone's camera phone or whatever, and they're running through the streets of New York trying to get away from this, you know, I mean Godzilla type monster is all you can get is that it's something very big. And you have no idea because you you don't see it until the, you know until the very end. But you don't like the whole time that you just see the destruction that it's left, and that is terrifying. That's so scary. Yeah. Yeah, that is very very yeah. Facelessness uh, and 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 vast but undefinedness, mm-hmm. both pretty scary things. Um, thanks very much for joining us. Um, so that is your Halloween book, everyone who's listening. This is what you need to buy for Halloween. And I would recommend Creeped Out, actually, is because some of the best episodes are really uh, discombobulating at the very, very least, I think. Yeah, I would say for, for fans of the original Goosebumps TV show or Are You Afraid of the Dark, uh, it's not, I mean, I don't have kids and I watch Creeped Out because I was like, oh, I like those shows. And yeah, yeah, some of them are quite, ooh. <laughs> um, thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Thank you very much for Beck joining us. Uh, Horror Heights, as you heard, is out now. It's your Halloween choice of book, and there's 
12 more to come which you need to collect all because otherwise you won't be able to have the lovely spine effect which mm -hmm. is very very important uh thank you very much to our producer trent burton what am i doing i can't remember where i i, I think on halloween night i'm possibly at, i'm at the uckfield cinema during the day doing a talk and then i'm going to be um at the rope tackle in shoreham so if you're looking for something to uh um do that's frightening on halloween come and see me trying to create a narrative arc uh it's really not happened now uh during any of this book tour or probably for the last 30 years so so, uh, yeah, come along to that. Um, and also I'm doing the Linda Smith lecture at the Gulbenkian Theatre on uh, the 2nd of November. And I'm doing a 100 bookshop tour. But there we go. Those are the things. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. This was Josie and Robin's Book Shambles. And though Josie wasn't officially on, listen again. Can you hear Josie somewhere in the recording? <laughs> Thanks very much for listening. Beck's book is out now. Grab a copy of that from your favourite independent bookshop or Hive or somewhere like that. Robin's book is out now too. Grab a copy of that from our bookshop. Signed editions are available. Support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash bookshambles. Rate, like, subscribe, review, all those things on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and so on and so forth. Back next week with another new episode. Until then, have a great week. Take care. Bye for now. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. Josie Robbins' book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions.